Colin's Last Stand Knockback is brought to you by, well, you. Knockback, in addition to the interview podcast series Fireside Chats and the weekly YouTube show dedicated to video games called SideQuest, is fan-funded over at patreon.com slash Stand. and without you, none of these shows would exist. If you like Knockback or any of what Colin's Last Stand does, please consider going to Patreon and showing your support. You can even get cool perks in return, like early access to shows, the ability to vote on future show topics, exclusive Q&As, and much more. Thank you for believing in Colin's Last Stand. Now, on to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to CLS Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. As always, I'm joined by my brother, Dagan Moriarty. Hi, guys. Hey, guys. How are you? How you doing? Oh, how am I? Yeah, how are you? Oh, I thought you were talking to the audience. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we're off to a, a really yeah, great start not here. Good here. Not good here. I'm doing. I'm doing wonderful. You're how doing are well. You doing? I'm all right. That's yes, very well. We were discussing. You know, we're, we saw so I'm here in the suburbs of Philadelphia with you. Yes. We're spending five days here. I woke up this morning feeling a little bit under the weather. Don't know why that is. But uh, you know, the travel. I also sleep like three or four hours a night, so that's probably not really helping me. <laughs> no, very much. But uh, yeah, no, it's good to be here with you. It's good That's to be great. here with the audience. I hope the audience is doing well. They yes. can't answer back, of course. Well, they can, but we can't hear them. No, we can't. You can scream, scream at your radio, your 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 phone, <laughs> or whatever you're listening to this on right now in your car. Maybe you're a, please. Maybe you're an HVAC repairman at work. Just start screaming right now. There's at least a dozen of those. Listen, listening right. Just a dozen generally, or a dozen listening to them right now. At this point, the listening. Yeah. Okay, I was gonna say. Imagine if there's only a dozen HVAC oh, wow. repairman in all the country. Oh, even more expensive. They all make than millions already. of dollars. <laughs> I because think they already do all make millions of dollars. Their services are already up. Dude, I know some, I know some guys that work in, in HVAC repair, you know, heating and cooling repair and stuff like that. They do make a lot of money. Oh, yeah. You could clean up. Now, Dagan, today's topic I'm excited about because it is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And this is something that, you know, t- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, from my perspective, seem to have waned. Like, it came and went and then came and went and then came again, which sounds kind of dirty when I, when I say that. <laughs> Come to think of it. My God! In other words, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are coming a lot and also waning a lot. It's really, fil- it's really filthy. Oh my God! What would Leo think of this conversation? <laughs> I don't know. He'd be very disappointed. He's probably meditating right now or something. Uh, probably. But you know, I was born in 1984. You were born in the early 70s, so you were you were kind of a little too old when the turtles came out to really care. Yeah. And I was like really just at the right age, and I was quite cognizant of and cared a great deal about the turtles. But I also kind of went away from them after a couple of years. I didn't really care that much anymore. And it's been fun watching them kind of be revived in in modernity, as it were. Sure. Because they're always kind of locked in like 1989 or 1990, specifically the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, which we'll get into because oh. I, I really, really love that movie and I think it holds up. But what are your memories of TMNT? Like what, 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 what do you... What do you remember first about it? When were you exposed to it? It's funny. I, I was a little old. We were just... You and I were just talking about this an hour or two ago. I was like 13... When the turtles dropped, when the turtles phenomenon, as it were, began. And my first memory of it was actually the animated show, which came out in 87. And I think, of course, I was watching it in 87. And of course, I was I was a nerd. So if I was 13, 14 years old, I was still watching that kind of stuff and enjoying it. But you know what? We'll get much more further into this. But what happened was, I think the show was on for about a year. And I had a friend named Adam, a great friend of mine, Adam, who I grew up with. He had an older brother named Sean. And Sean was probably like five years older than us. And he had a Ninja Turtles poster in his room. But it didn't look like the show. What it was, was that it was an image from 
what we didn't even realize existed at that point was an image from the graphic novels. It was one of the graphic novel comic book covers. I was like, wait a second, that's the Ninja Turtles that the Ninja Turtles cartoon is based on? It was so visually, obviously, it's, as people know, it's much different. And then I actually borrowed from Sean the graphic, the first two, I think, at that point, graphic novels. He had them, which had come out in 84. But of course, this was 88. This was probably 88 when I was, and then that's when the Ninja Turtle, my Ninja Turtles fandom started when I saw these books. I was, I was blown away by these things, how different it was from the cartoon. And I, I think it was the first thing too, that I real, it was like something that I realized, something that I knew that existed was based on something else that was actually much different. In other words, like this thing, this, the Turtles as it was presented to children on TV was much lighter, fair and much more watered down and much more comic and um, funnier than a lot funnier. And it was a whole different presentation than the dark, gritty, hand-drawn comic book, you know, oftentimes set at night. It was much more violent, bloody. It had a much more serious tone overall. So that was my first, that was the very first thing with the Turtles was about a year of the cartoon and then realizing this came from something else. That was uh, much different in feel and tone. So that's, yeah, the, for me, that's what. What about you? When, when did it start for you? Because you were so young. Yeah, I was young. So, yeah. when the, So to back people up, what basically ended up happening, and we'll get more into the history, I think, of it. Two artists from New England created this, this kind of joke between them, these Ninja Turtles kind of using buzzwords of the time. Heavily inspired, as we'll get into, by Daredevil, which is, which is something I actually didn't realize until... I was reading about Turtle, like the, the history of Turtles in preparation for this video because I know a great deal about Ninja Turtles starting with the cartoon and then starting obviously with the toys and obviously the seminal 1990 movie. And one of my biggest fictional character obsessions, as many people know over the years, is Casey Jones, So, who I absolutely adore. I think Casey Jones is one of the coolest motherfuckers that's ever been in anything. And so it is funny, as you said, to go back and kind of not reminisce necessarily because we were both not cognizant of and really not old enough to really enjoy it the way we, our contemporaries at the time would have enjoyed it. But it is one of those symbols of something that started and then was commercialized. And it's interesting reading about the guys that created it, how they kind of regret doing some of the things that they did and reading a lot of the stuff and how there was this big dissonance between their vision of the Ninja Turtles and the vision that basically Playmates, the toy company, and then cartoon, or you know, cartoon uh, studios and everything kind of took it took it in a different direction that made it more accessible. But it's a chicken and the egg kind of thing because Ninja Turtles would have never been big if not for that cartoon and those toys. So they should probably be, and I'm certainly are thankful for the many millions of dollars that they made off of it. Dagan, as you know, Peter Laird and Kevin Eastman were the creators of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I was talking to you in the car. We just went and got bagels before we started recording, and I was telling you that these guys are from Northampton, Massachusetts quaint town in Massachusetts, but that there's some sort of tether and connection that I'm not certain of with Southern New Hampshire. That's significant to me because I lived in Southern New Hampshire for a few years when I was a kid. I played hockey up there, went to private school there for a little while. Um, I lived with my mom and they were, they had this connection, this kind of nebulous connection to Durham and Dover. I lived in Dover. So it's an interesting kind of situation at the Northern end of Massachusetts, the Southern end of New Hampshire this is where it all kind of created and was concocted. And there's not a whole lot going on in that area of the country. So it's this is like a really big touchstone for the people that live there. And even when I lived there in the mid to late 90s, I don't remember anyone ever talking about that. But you see a lot of hype about that online. And as I said, it started as a bit of a joke. These guys were basically just drawing. They had a different comic book. 
I actually wrote it down. I'm trying to find what it, what it was called. They had so they were basically making their own comics and selling them direct to you know merchants. Yeah, selling maybe a couple hundred copies here and there. And as a joke, they just drew Ninja Turtles and and kind of made them crazier and crazier. And then ended up putting out a comic, one comic that had this this demand, and they sold thousands of copies of it. They actually borrowed money from one of their uncles to manufacture it and put all their they got like tax return money and put it into that or whatever and kind of bet bet the whole thing on it. And even when the first comic book did well, they didn't want to do any more with it. They didn't make issue two until the next year. As you said, it was early 1984 when the original TMNT comic book slash graphic novel came out. And it wasn't until over a year later that after demand from these comic shops and all this weird thing that they put the second comic book out. And so everything kind of got the ball rolling. You had mentioned, Dagan, that the, the visual aspect of it was different, which it was. Everyone looked like Raphael, which was the big thing. They all wore red bands. They were supposed to be identified by their weapons, not by the color of their bandanas exactly. or their eye, their you know, their bandanas. But what would you call those? I guess like uh, masks. I guess yeah, they're masks. Yeah. So, did you when you saw? So you saw the cartoon first, and yes. then you saw the graphic, the poster in your in, in Adam Smith's brother's room. Then you saw the gra- You read through the first graphic novel that he had acquired, which apparently, by the way, is very rare. They're very rare. The original, I'm sure they've reprinted them many times, but the original printing of them apparently is they're worth thousands of dollars. Did you gravitate towards one of them originally? We're in it. We're recording this in your studio in your house. Yes. Here in the suburbs of Philly. You <laughs> named the studio Leonardo or yeah, Leo. Yeah. One of the walls is blue, like Leo's, you know, mask. Yeah, right. Were you always, did you always gravitate towards him originally? Or I, was there someone else that you gravitated towards? Yeah, no, it was always initially Leo. And you know what ha- had happened was, and I, you know what's funny? I don't even own, it's kind of a sin, and I'll be honest with you. I don't even own the reprints. I know IDW, initially it was Mirage Studios, right? But IDW, I think, did and does a lot of the, co- the current Turtle stuff and even reprints the older stuff. And I don't even own the reprints, which is kind of a sin because they had such a huge influence on me. In fact, I had to go back and look on Google at certain images. But initially, when I borrowed those two graphic novels from my friend's brother, there was a story in it that um, one night, and as you said, like the turtles were pretty interchangeable. They had different weapons, but the covers, the comic book covers, the graphic novel covers were illustrated in color, but the art itself inside was black and white. So, but when you did see them, you realized that, no, you didn't have the different interchangeable uh, mask colors. They were all red. But their personalities were marketedly different, even in the comic. And there's an arc, which you may remember, where Leonardo goes out one night and he's, I don't want to say he's picking a fight, but he's trying to, they already know their origins a little bit and they know about the Foot Clan and they're, you know, kind of posturing as good guys and they're fighting these bad guys. And he goes and basically tries to spy on the Foot Clan, as I remember it. And it, they're in a he's in a, he's disguised in a trench coat and hat, and he's in like a construction site. Push comes to shove, and they end up beating the living shit out of him. It's basically what happens. We'll talk about it more in the movie to Raphael. For some reason, they they interchange it between Leonardo and Raphael in the movie, and they beat him with like an inch of his life. But from that moment on where leo kind of went out on his own to engage these guys i was like this is my guy this is already my guy how courageous is this is this guy that he's doing this you know he always stood out because he was always a little more i don't want to say dark and brooding that sounds kind of cliched but he seemed like 
Leonardo was kind of set apart. I guess the personalities were kind of established, as I remember, in the graphic novels. And then they did carry the personalities through to the cartoon series, even though it was much more kiddie in nature. And those personalities, as you know, and as we all know, were kind of carried, threaded through the Ninja Turtles through the years, as it were, in the different iterations. But Leo always seemed like he was, there was, there was like an anxiety there. There was some kind of drive. There was like a protectiveness of his brothers. There was a complexity to the character that the others didn't have. You know, you knew Raph was kind of like the hothead quick to anger you knew donnie was kind of the smart the smart one who'd rather pick up a beaker or or a notepad to jot down some notes and think things through than his bow staff you know what i mean he was more he what moved him was the planning you know the intelligent approach thinking things through creating things inventing things whatever it was and then mikey was like the lighthearted, jovial sort of I, i believe mikey's the youngest right is mikey the youngest as well I'm not sure, but he, you know, he was always the one that was like the comic relief. But Leo, there was a complexity and layers. I felt like there was layers to his character. You know, that the the cartoon series obviously doesn't do that justice. You can't, that would have been hard, really hard to pull off in a kid's cartoon, you know, for five-year-olds. But that, that he, his character drew me in from the very beginning. I was like, what's going on with this guy? There's, there's more to him. There's so many more layers to that onion than the other guys. And that, for some reason, that just really drew me in. I think that speaks to a lot of people. There's a lot of Leo. I mean, I know you love Leo as well. I do. I, I To me, I like... It's funny because what I keep saying I, over the years yeah. and thinking about them, and again, thinking about... I have very little familiarity with the graphic novels. So my touchstone are the cartoons. And sir, and again, not to, to draw you know, Dragon into the ground because we haven't talked about it yet, is the movie, which is something that you and I shared when we were a kid and, and, and something that's really special to me. And something, again, I think that is just way better than I think even people give it credit for today. And I always was attracted to Leonardo, and I was attracted to him for a few reasons. He was like the leader, like the general, kind of the the character that Splinter trusted the most. Splinter, of course, being the rat that is also, <laughs> you, you know, uh, gets the, mut- the mutagen on him and becomes human as well. and Or not human, but humanized, humanoid as well, whatever. Conscious. And I was attracted to him because he had katanas, which I thought were cool weapons for him to utilize. But I, it's funny because I actually always liked Raphael and Donatello too. And Michelangelo was the one that I was always like least connected to. I just didn't really, I just, I always thought he was weird and silly and his, and nunchucks are kind of lame and, <laughs> and, and there's like a lot of, of that, but I've actually come around to him. And what I realized is that I actually like all four of them for different reasons. I think Leo would be my favorite. I think Raphael is a close second, specifically the way they, they, Raphael in the TMNT 1990 movie is such an amazing character. What they do to him, he's dark and brooding, his, his conflict with Casey Jones, his conflict with Leonardo, his conflict with Splinter and the group, he's like kind of the castaway on, on in that dynamic, in that movie, which I really think is cool. And I don't know if that plays into the way that they were in the graphic novel or not, but I really loved that aspect of him. But yeah, I was most attracted to Leonardo too. And in fact, when I was younger, you bought me a gigantic stuffed animal of Leonardo that came with katanas, which I lost at some point, but it was like this big stuffed animal is probably... Two and a half feet tall, yeah, maybe, I maybe even right. bigger than that. Yeah. It's full of like those uh, styrofoam beads. And I used to just love that thing. I used to just beat the shit out of it, basically. <laughs> I don't know why. I used to just punch it and That's kick it right. and, and right. wrestle with it and it would just <laughs> sleep with it, whatever. So, yeah, I, I, it's funny because we, we did the episode, which people can go back and listen to if they haven't yet on G.I. Joe, which was another important toy to us. And for me, the most important toy series that, that existed at that time. And 
it was something that was concurrent to to G.I. Joe's Golden Era was concurrent to, to the rise of Turtles, the Ninja Turtles. And the Ninja Turtles kept my attention for a little while. But, and by that I mean like a couple of years. And I watched the cartoon for longer. I watched the cartoon before I had the toys and I watched the cartoon after I had the toys. But as a collectible thing, as something that I really engaged with on that level, it wasn't something that kept my attention for more than a couple of years. Because I didn't think the toys were exceptionally good. And like they're really fun to look at now. They're chunky and they're weird and... But they weren't as good as G.I. Joe. They weren't, you know, later on, they weren't as good as Star Wars to me. And I just didn't feel like there was that much depth to it. But then again, there wasn't that much depth to G.I. Joe either. So, by the way, the I was looking at my notes here. The comic book that they were working on before this was called Fugitoid. Oh, right. I saw images of that. And I never knew about that either before researching for this. I never knew that. But I think one of the cool things about it. So we were talking about Mirage Studios. They named it that apparently because they didn't have a studio. <laughs> that's awesome. So that's where the name came that from. That is great. And the other interesting thing about it, which I love, and I think this is a, this is a major point for me, and, and I think it's probably a major point for you too, is that the Turtles were set in New York City. And it, it wasn't some fictional location. This isn't uncommon in comic books. Spider-Man takes place in New York City as well. Queens, you know, is where, you know... Peter Parker's from so there's there's that real world connection but in in comics like Superman and stuff they kind of allude you know Metropolis or what you don't really know what you know Gotham City maybe New York City Chicago one of these cities but I like that it was grounded in the real world because it made it it made the dissonance between these strange turtles and the cast of characters around them April and and Splinter and whatever interesting and it also grounded it in, in the reality of what was going on in New York City at the time it was the perfect setting because New York City for people that don't know in the 70s and 80s especially was a shithole it was really bad, really, really bad. New York City was a bad place to be, most of it, actually, yeah. in, even in Manhattan. Even in places in Manhattan oh, yeah. now that you would you would scoff at thinking it was bad was, was, was not good in the 80s. So there was, this, there was this criminal underworld element, this mystique to it that the Foot Clan kind of encapsulated for people. And I, I grounded it in a sort of reality that we could understand. I, I knew that New York City growing up on Long Island for us was right over there. Dad worked there. And it kind of made it feel like relatable. Was that an important aspect of it for you? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good point. It and it and it, it lends to the fact of like you're in this city. There's an air of danger. There's an air of mystery. You could they're in the sewers, so they're underground, literally underground, and you could set a lot of it at night. It lends really well to the ninja motif, but it also lends well to the anxiety of the situation because you're in a really crowded place, trying not to be seen. So that was always really something that hit home was that these, they're ninjas. They also have to stay, you know, sort of out of the public eye because of who they are. What, not only what they look like, but who they are. And they're trying to do that in a place where millions of people live, you know. So that always lent to the air of anxiety and danger and, you know, it just heightened everything. It heightened the whole element, the ninjutsu element to me. You know, it wasn't like a feudal ninja, you know, where there was woods, you know, you were operating in the woods or in, you know, villages. This was like New York City, you know, so that was always kind of cool to me as well. And I have to plead ignorance as well. I know it was heavily influenced and inspired and parodying Daredevil. Does Daredevil take place in New York? I think it does. Yeah. Okay. Kitchen. Okay. So that's so that's the thing. So that's the thing then. So that's so it was really a direct parody of that. I know it was inspired by several things, but especially you're right, Daredevil. Yeah, so, so I'm not I'm not a Marvel fan, so at all. I'm I'm not a comic fan really. So right. I didn't I really never knew that. No, that I didn't. there's so there's apparently the hand 
is the bad guy or the bad organization in Daredevil. So they called the Foot or the Foot Clan. Yes. The bad guys in the Turtles. Splinter apparently is an analog for a character in Daredevil that's kind of like the the mystic or the the teacher, the tutor, or whatever. And the origin story itself about how Daredevil, I guess, was blinded and then how they were kind of coated with this mutagen as well to, to kind of transform them or give them their powers or kind of heighten their sense of whatever purpose, as it were, is an analog there as well, which I didn't I just didn't realize that. And I'm not a, I'm, again, I'm not a Daredevil fan, not even of the TV show that's on Netflix that apparently is very popular. People really enjoy that as well. But I love that they it seen it's it must have been so obvious and is today so obvious to people that understand those connections a little bit better, better than I did. And did, was that that wasn't a connection you were aware of? No, you were... no. You know what? It really wasn't. And um, it's true. It must have added some layers to it as someone, a young person discovering it. If you knew about that, it would already be, you know, it would already be heightened that much more because you get what it's parodying, which we, we totally did. And we got that it was silly, that it was a silly thing, especially that this the, this whole thing, Eastman and Laird's whole thing with the name. I mean, how many things did this parody? It was like, you know adolescent mutant gerbil samurais you know what i mean it was that everybody would do a thing based on that this really was influential you know then they it's true they had such a they were such they had such an independent spirit and like you talked about already doing already being immersed in doing indie comics and the anthropomorphic animal thing and just the whole vibe and feel of like indie comics new york underground comic gothic blimp like coming out of that whole tradition it is it is a little bit of a um not to veer off course because we'll probably get to this but it is a little bit of a shame how watered down it became but like you said that's what delivered it to the masses and put it in the public eye if it stayed an underground comic that 2,000 people across the country knew about then it would never became this phenomenon we would never do be doing this podcast right it's six, right? It's, so. it's six and one half dozen of the other and i think that they and, and reading interviews with the, the creators at laird and eastman it, it became clear that they kind of understood that that they they find a lot of the the watering down regrettable because it's not their vision but yeah. this allowed them to pursue lots of different things and made them incredibly wealthy so you can't really hate on that and no. they became wealthy very quickly the the between so the 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 graphic novel episode issue one first run of issue one they basically advertised they were able to take out a small ad in some print kind of trade magazine to promote turtles and see what happens again using some tax return money some some saved money and a loan from one of their uncles to create a run of three or four thousand copies which they sold very quickly and they reprinted more and then when they sold the second issue when they were kind of beaten down and sold the second issue People requested that they would reprint the first issue and all that kind of stuff. So they started making, they actually started making quite a bit of money at that time. But it was the connection to a guy named Mark Friedman. And I was reading a a little bit about this guy. Mark Friedman is really just as responsible in a way for the Turtles and for the Turtles' success as are Laird and and Eastman. Because he's the one that saw it, saw the graphic novel, saw the advertisement, saw the potential and what these guys were doing kind of... These, these, I don't want to say they were lazy because I don't think that's true, but these kind of more laid back, let's see what happens kind of guys that were creating something but didn't realize the vision for it. And it reminds me a lot in a weird way. And and maybe some people won't follow this analogy, but it, it, it makes sense to me and maybe it'll make sense to you, Dig, is they – it's like the relationship between Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. Steve Wozniak 
was the guy who created Apple One. He was the guy that coded it. He was the guy that put it together. And he wanted to go to Homebrew Computer Club in Berkeley, California and give it away. He wanted to give away the the circuit board kind of layouts and all that kind of stuff because that was the spirit of what they were doing in the 70s in the, in the kind of the homebrew computer scene, their home-built computer scene. Let's just show everyone what we did so they can do it. Everyone will be impressed. We'll, we'll drink for free for a little while and and all that. And Steve Jobs was the one to be like, are you, are you out of your mind? Do you not see what you made and how it can be twisted and turned into something that will make us billionaires? And so it did. And so there's a, a similar relationship between the two gentlemen that created the comics and then this gentleman that saw the potential of the comics that they created. And so his, Mr. Friedman, Mark Friedman's potential or, or influence on the story can't be understated. And what basically happened with him was that he knew of and was re- kind of responsible for as a marketer and kind of these guys, you know, kind of one of these guys that was mixing different circles, knew that there was a toy company called Playmates, which was kind of this small upstart toy company, just like any toy company on the verge of something big, just like, Hasbro with G.I. Joe, just like Kenner with Star Wars, waiting for the next big pop. Yep. And he was the one that kind of bridged the gap, brought the creators together with the toy manufacturer and said, we have something here. Action figures, as we discussed in the G.I. Joe uh, episode, were still somewhat novel and new. And Star Wars was really the one that miniaturized. G.I. Joe was the one that popularized. And then there was He-Man and all this other shit as well. But they saw potential here. And so it was actually Playmates, the, the, the toy company that funded the original miniseries cartoon that you saw in 1987. So what are your memories of seeing that for the first time? So let's, let's rewind a little bit. Okay. Because I don't, I was young at this time. I saw this stuff, but I was really young. Yeah, like, you were really, you were I was baby. enamored with it. What was your takeaway of it? Did you, did you think it would turn into the phenomenon that it ended up turning into just a couple years later? You know what? I'm not sure if I realized that. I... I the the cartoon became I think it became pretty popular pretty quick as far as because if I'm not mistaken they were already doing merchandise even before the action figures were a thing you know all the typical things that you would see I'm not saying it got to the point of like bed sheets and stuff but maybe like party favors you would see things plushies you would see things around as as I as I recall I saw I saw one thing I saw in the pre Playmates era was that they were making small metal miniatures of the of the turtles Oh that's cool That was one of the things that they were apparently selling and obviously you saw the poster of them in their red bandanas yeah, or the saw red that. masks so there, uh, there was merchandising. There was stuff, but it didn't seep into the mainstream. Right? Maybe it was comic. You know, now, now you're making the point, and I see what you're saying. Could have been like comic shop type stuff, specialty items. Yeah, you know, conventions, comic shops, that kind of thing. But yeah, I'm not sure. It, I think it blew up. I think it did really blow up kind of quickly. Well, the my initial reaction to the toys was I was probably 13, going on 14, as we said. So I was already out of toys. But this is one of the things that I could enjoy without having to publicly acknowledge I was enjoying it. You know what I mean? Come home and watch the cartoon after school or whatever. Also, the toys were... I don't have one in front of me. They're around somewhere. My Leo and Usagi Yojimbo and stuff like that. But they were taller. They Were were they 5-inch? Yeah, they were almost... I think they were... It depended on the, the build you had. But I think, yeah. yeah, they were they were tall. So G.I. Joe's and Star, Star Wars figures were a little... 
The 77 to 85 run of Star Wars figures were a little tinier than three and three quarter inch. And I think G.I. Joe's standard, not Serpento or Globulus, all those Nemesis Enforcer, they were bigger, but three and three quarter inch. Right. And I think the star, the, the turtle, standard turtle figure, yeah, I think it was about five inches. Almost like a He-Man. Right. Right, right exactly. They were sort of proportioned similar to He-Man. They might have been a little smaller. I wish I had one to do side by side, like Mattel's He-Man figures. Yeah, I thought they, I thought they were cool. You know, I thought they were really cool. And you know what else plays into this, Kyle, too, is the... NES Ninja Turtles, which Konami used the, they used a strange image of just the red headbands on the cover art for that game as well, right? So that was like another thing that we could draw a parallel from A to B to C. You know, that was another weird thing where it was like, oh, you know, and I I think I had already known about the graphic novel by the time I knew about this game. That that game come out in 88? 89, I think. 89, okay. So I already knew about the graphic novel. Yeah, what I oh the fact I have here about the that, that I wrote down in researching that was the game. So TMNT, the one that no one apparently likes. So so for so for people for people that are confused out there, there are two Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle games on NES of import. Yeah, there's TMNT and T, TMNT two. TMNT two is a crude port of the arcade game that everyone loved. That was the game that they wanted, that everyone wanted. Yeah. But the original Teenage Mutant Ninja, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle game was like made for NES game where you can play as the four turtles it was like part overhead like overworld and then part side scroller and that game wasn't as popular critically but it sold four million copies on nes which was a massive success on the nes right but yeah i remember the cover too of of them and being confused because i didn't know i was like why are they all Raphael? that was like kind of my little kid interpretation of that seeing it in the video store and toys r us or whatever i I imagine that was a lot of people's reaction you know nobody knew about the graphic novel at that point we did but we were older you know so yeah, that probably confused the hell out of a lot of people. So one of the interesting things for me that that I wanted to touch on, Dig, is are those differences between the spirit of the graphic novel and what the the vision was of Playmates and then how that played out in the cartoon. For people that are unaware of kind of the timeline, as we said, 84 and 85 issues one and two, and then TMNT starts kind of gaining prominence in comic book circles, which... Again, to remind people, comic books were just not very big at that time. They were they were kind of pushed back underground. You know, they were big back when our parents were kids. And then the comic codes and all that kind of stuff is interesting. And then they kind of seep back down into nerdy circles. It just wasn't cool to be nerdy back then. And so there's a difference between the, the prevalence of comic books and Marvel and DC today as opposed to all this stuff. This was all just... This, this didn't exist in the mainstream. And that's really important. But from 84 and 85 when the graphic novels were kind of incubating and then released, it was 87 when the miniseries was created. And what I didn't realize was that Playmates went ahead and funded the cartoon first before committing to toys to see how it would take off. And like you said, it was very quick. And they had something on their hands and they and they made the toys and then the cartoon went into syndication and we had an, an asinine number of, of cartoons. The, the, the series itself ran from 88 to 96. And I didn't realize because, I you know, things don't seem to be going on when you're not involved in it. <laughs> so, right, Exactly. I didn't realize that that run lasted for so long. It's eight years, nine years of the cartoon continuously going before it kind of waned out of existence again. So it's funny reading about some of the things that they didn't like about it, that Shredder wasn't evil enough. He wasn't like, you know, he, he wasn't violent enough for them. He was apparently a pretty bad dude in the com in in the comic books. He's, he's, and that kind of plays out a little bit more in the, in the live action movie, but he was kind of more comical, kind of strange. They hated Rocksteady and Bebop, which I was super disappointed to hear. I, I thought maybe there was some sort of connection between some of these villains, Krang 
and all of these different villains from the comics, but not all of them existed in there at all. Those were made just for the toy line and just for the cartoon. They were befuddled by the pizza obsession. But that's another thing that made them a ton of money. There was an entire thing I read online, Dig, about the history of pizza advertisements in Turtles cartoons, Turtles video games, and all this other stuff about how Pizza Hut spent tens of millions of dollars on, you know, if you play the TMNT game, the side-scrolling action, you know, arcade game today, there are Pizza Hut ads in it. You never really saw that in video games back then. You see that now. That was a first. But you don't really see that. And so there's a lot of interesting things in there. So it was a little disenchanting for me to see that there was this connect, disconnect almost immediately between the vision of the, the creators, like we said earlier, and what ended up popularizing it and the turtles that I was familiar with. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's it's kind of it's kind of sad. It, it is. It's it's strange. You know, that whole marketing push and how they thought they could make it more marketable and how they thought they could liven things up and, you know, tie ins and all that, you know, it's it, and it's so crazy to go back to and just think. This was my, at least my first and probably a lot of per- people's introduction to a comic hero that wasn't like a man in tights or a woman in tights type thing. This was like really the first indie indie comic that introduced indie comics to a lot of people because then, it, like you said, it was Marvel and DC and this was even pre-image. You know, this was even pre the things that sort of broke things down. I mean, you had Cerebus and things like that, but this was very early. Turtles was very early on, you know, pre-Max and pre-things that sort of turned the genre, you know, the comic book thing on its head and said you could do a lot of things here. It's not just superheroes and tights. You know, not that all comic books were like that at that point, but largely it was. You know, this was one of the things that said you could do a lot of things with comics. It doesn't have to be just this way. It doesn't have to be Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, you know, Spider-Man. Yeah, to see it watered down. But you know what? Look at it this way. You could pick the iteration that you like. You could pick the iteration that you're most nostalgic about. You know, it's kind of neat to see all the different versions and the different things that the Turtles spawned through the years, especially in animation and video games. And the movie, of course. The movies, but especially the first movie, live action movie. Well, that's what I wanted to get into. Is that that's, that's a real connection you and I have is the TMNT movie from 1990 and the sequel too because we both we saw them both in the theater together I remember and that movie had a major influence on me because it sounds so fucking stupid like it's it sounds so dumb when you think about it there's it's not animated it's live action but it's not like the turtles are are it's not like face paint or some weird shit like that which would look even stupider and weirder it was these guys jim henson was involved in it, his studio was involved in it in making it the turtles realistic with their eyes and their mouths and stuff like that but it sounds on paper so insane it really does and it's really weird because you think it would be it's it is it is a little campy but you you'd think that it would over time it's been almost three decades since it was released you think that it would decline in influence decline in popularity decline in quality or our perception of quality but it is one of those movies that pretty much universally and ubiquitously is still respected for what it did and how it managed the turtles and how it melded the original vision of the graphic novel with the popularization of the cartoon and kind of unintentionally for children of the age that were unaware like we were saying of the car- of the uh, car- of the comic books gave them a little taste of it without being too overt about it and I really, really love that. And like you said, there is a reference to that story with the trench coat and kind of going, Leonardo getting the shit beat out of him, but it's Raphael in the movie. But there's also weird tethers and connections. The whole apparently damn thing when he, when Raphael screams damn is apparently a reference to the, to, the, to the graphic novels. 
as well. So it seems like they had a little bit of agency and control over this in a way that they might not have with the cartoons and they kind of signed over Absolutely. maybe some of their rights and their ability to control things in that way with the cartoons that they 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 didn't succumb to with the live action movie. And what's interesting about that movie was that it was made on the cheap. It was only made for 14 or $15 million and ended up grossing over $200 million at the box office. Wow. So it was a massive success. That's awesome. And what so what do you remember about that? What okay. do you remember about that time? I had the poster in my room. I remember that. What did you... Do you, were you were you drawn to it independently, or were you drawn to it because I was drawn to it, or what? What, what about it? Yeah, I think we loved. Well, you know what I love about that movie for guys of your generation, because you guys were so young, even when the cartoon series came out, was that was your introduction to the the real quote unquote Ninja Turtles, because it was that movie, that first live action Ninja Turtles movie, was so faithful to the comic. It was they did little things like switch Leo and Raph in those roles. And I think they probably did that because Raph was a more, he was a larger character. He was a more important quote unquote character. And the fact that you see him more, he plays more of a role in the movie and you care about him more. So they, I think in order to suck people in and make them care more, it made more sense in a way. And in a way it does the way the movie's presented to make, to put Raph, Raph in that position instead of Leo. Because Leo, you, he's a little bit more pushed to the side, and Raph takes a little more of center stage in that movie. So to put him in that critical situation, but you still maintain that sort of cantankerous, walking on glass, on edge relationship between Leo and Raph. So it still preserves it in a way. It almost doesn't even matter that you swap it. But it was so faithful. Other than small things like that, it was so faithful to the graphic novel. And of course, like you said, they did little things like they did the colored headbands. They did the thing with the pizza. They did the thing with the surfer talk and the cowabunga and everything like that. But they present, they preserve the tone of the graphic novel so well in that movie. You know, dark and gritty and dangerous New York City setting, set largely at night. Um, it followed and it followed the first couple of arcs of the graphic novel almost to a T. You know, and it pulled it off in live action so well. It was so good. I think. And we were all, I think your generation, my generation, I think we were just all so into Ninja Turtles at that point that, of course, we were going to go see the movie. We didn't know how good it was going to be. But I fell in love with that movie instantly. I mean, they just nailed it with that movie. And like you said, it is a little cheesy. You got the little, little bit of a weird vibe with the puppets, but for some reason, it just works. I think it's Ninja Turtles the way I, I want to see it. I know there's huge fans of the cartoon series and the campiness of the cartoon series. It's almost like, I almost think of it like Dark Knight, Batman versus the tv series the batman tv series you know it's like choose which one you like but i i think you and i are very similar in the fact that we always wanted to see that turtles that was a little more serious you know a little more a little more adult a little a little less kitty a little less cheesy so the movie really the first movie nails that i still love it it holds up that movie really holds up and you know what's funny before i forget to say it as a little side story i don't know the kid's name but the kid who plays April's boss's son, Danny, Danny, yeah, I, you probably know this story. He worked. He was an animator. He worked in an animation studio that I worked in. At the time, we were really busy. I won't say I won't say the name of the studio or anything like that. But at the time, we were really busy, and there was a day. Sh- this is the only studio I've ever worked in that actually had this. It was in New York, in Hell's Kitchen ironically there was a night shift and a day shift 
and I was on the, obviously I was an art director on the day shift. And then there was a night shift that would come in and work on a specific project that we were doing for AOL Time Warner or something at that time. And he, this guy was supposedly part of the night shift and he would come in and a couple of guys I knew recognize, you know, like it's all, I, it's all animators, we're all nerds. We know this movie, we know who this guy is. You know what I mean? He worked in there and supposedly this kid was like really like not trying to be recognized for that. He was like onto the next thing and he was just trying to be an animator and just try to be left alone. So he wasn't too happy about it, you know, like, but I always remember that. And I always wished I could have met him because I, I love that movie so much. You know, I think I, I have like four different DVD versions, iterations of that movie. I don't think I have it on Blu-ray. I don't even know if it exists on Blu-ray. But I do have like four DVDs and VHS of that movie. I, I love it. Yeah, it was one of the few VHSs I owned as a kid. We didn't. It wasn't common for the Moriarty family to buy VHSs. So the, the ones no. we had were... Few and far between. Yeah, and yeah. they were the ones that, that we really cared about. I What I liked about it was the there was a great contrast between the colorful and bonkers nature of the cartoon with the really dark, gritty, it's like sepia-toned kind of movie like it, the yeah leo had like a blue headband but it wasn't like this popping blue right was, and and he had katanas but they were kind of gritty and they were a little dirty and and he, you know their, their their belts were dirty and they lived it wasn't like this very decluttered fantastical sewer it was like a disgusting sewer like in their disgusting little hideout and splinter was all disgusting looking and it was just it it, it the grit <laughs> that was there was so he was, really was it was so it was so different. That's the thing. That's the Henson magic and the magic that they captured in the movie was that even Splinter was so it like this this humanoid kind of rat character was it just worked. It was strange. Like it, I always thought back the the one touchstone I have is the the scene where they're telling you how Splinter trained alongside his master, right? In the cage, which is so silly, right? And so corny. But it it when you watch it like I've got I watched it recently like in the last year I watched the movie and I'm like this isn't that like I thought I'd laugh at this but it's not that funny like he's doing ninja kicks in the cage and stuff like that it's so funny I know the but, part you're talking about but it doesn't it doesn't add up to this thing that doesn't hold up it doesn't it doesn't all combine to make it this piece of nostalgia that is just that that we we blind ourselves in the GI Joe episode and 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 the same thing with the turtles cartoon. Go back and watch that stuff, and it's not, it's really not as good as you remember it. It's just not. G I, Turtles might hold up a little bit better than G.I. Joe as far as the cartoons, but they put all the G.I. Joe cartoons on Netflix for a while. I don't know if they're still there, and I watched some of them. I'm like, man, this is, they just don't hold up. It's just not very good. No. No, you nailed it. You really said it. The, what they did was they took a premise that sounds really silly. You said it before perfectly on paper and grounded it in reality with the visuals in every way that they could. Like, yes, it's a talking rat who's these turtles father but by making it dark and by making the sewers feel feel real and dirty you know they're skateboarding in the sewers and talking like and talking like surfer dudes but there there's a visual element to it that lends realism and and it's very few very few when you tr when you take something and translate it to another media very few things are successful at doing that. I can think of a very few things that are like the. I, I'm very big fan of the Max, the Image comic book, the Max, and what they did. This is a really nerdy sort of a deep cut, but if you just bear with me, what they did in the MTV animated series of the Max, translating it from the comic to the animated series, it was perfect. And I think about something like that. There's other examples as well, but there's this is an example of taking something 
and and translating it to the big screen, taking a comic basically and translating it to the big screen, better than I'm sorry I'm sorry, but better than Michael Bay could ever do, you know, for for nothing, for no money, like for you know just blood, sweat, and tears. That's what it always seemed to me. You could see that shining through this movie. You know, somebody cared enough to 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 make it work and to really make it really really make it something special and something that we remember fondly you know and i think a lot of people remember that movie fondly it was something different you know yeah it definitely so. was it definitely was and i i must say that april o'neill was good in it yeah like the, great the, it was and and i know that the creators had a little bit of a problem with april o'neill's interpretation on the cartoon but not so much probably in the movie yeah but casey jones in the movie is what made me love casey jones i was going to ask you about that his confrontation in the park with Raphael is awesome. So good. It's one of the iconic parts of the movie, obviously, the Jose Canseco bat and whatnot. But <laughs> really one of the more understated portions of the movie that I think is interesting was is when they retreat to the suburbs. It could be Long Island, but it's probably upstate. No, you know where it is? It's Northampton. Oh, Northampton. It's oh, Northampton. So it is. It is yeah. out on the island. Yeah. and Which is awesome. And they are retreating and it's like kind of a pastoral kind of scene and, and situation in this old shitty house and stuff. And. There's a dynamic to Casey Jones in his relationship with April and the Turtles without his mask on when he's not in this violent rage anymore that humanizes him and makes him an interesting character. And what I like about it, it reminds me, you know, you brought up the Nolan Batman movies as kind of a as kind of a comparison between, you know, maybe the more campy Adam West shit that was going on when our parents were teenagers. But I looked at Casey Jones and I'm like, this is exactly what a New York City vigilante in the 80s would have done. He takes a hockey mask. Maybe he's a Rangers fan or something. He takes a hockey mask and he just has a golf bag slung around his back and he just has whatever shit he had in his garage or in his bedroom or at the local, you know, Goodwill or whatever. And he's just beating the shit out of people. It just works. Him. Carries around the golf bag. Yep. He's got a salty sense of humor. You it's, know, it's awesome. Like he's ready to just tee off on people <laughs> with a cricket bat and, and his baseball bat and a hockey stick and all that kind of stuff. It's really, that's what I, I like. The reason that I was never attracted to, to comic books, specifically to Marvel comic books, which I think are over the top and really, in my mind, corny, but I, I, I respect, I'm not trying to be mean. I respect that people no, like that stuff. Sure, sure. But that's the reason why I would never go see an Avengers movie or anything like that. It just doesn't, that doesn't speak to me at all. And that's why I like Batman is because Batman's a little silly too, but it's realistic at least compared to whatever the hell is going on. It's actually why I like Iron Man is Marvel. Yeah. Iron Man is probably the most appealing Marvel character to me too, because he's just a rich guy that has very a appealing. Yeah. And he's not really a superhero. He doesn't have superpowers. Right. And that's what I loved about that kind of stuff. And I loved Casey Jones, and he was such a he, he. Shredder drew me in too because Shredder is the same thing, where he's just like some some ninjutsu trained dude with this really badass suit, and he's like Vega like claws on his hands, and and he's you know violent and murderous and all that kind of stuff. But I lo- I just really connected to Casey Jones in that respect, and I think it was before I could even identify why I liked him, which was this is realistic. This isn't silly or strange or campy at all. Actually, he's the most realistic thing in this entire movie in a respect, you know. But the thing that was also interesting was the arc. Because you brought up Danny and his dad, his dad's relationship to April, and how you, they showed a sort of recruitment angle to the Foot Clan that you don't really see. How he's getting sucked into this underworld, and what you don't see it in the cartoons, or they kind of gloss over it. How? What is their aim? What are they doing? And in in the movie, they really reduce it to its bare essence. They are just trying to make money. That's all they're trying to do. And they don't they don't have like some sort of nefarious plot like a cobra commander plot <laughs> ridiculous plot to like take over the world or whatever they just they're stealing people's shit they're hijacking trucks full of televisions and air conditioners and and i love those scenes where like people are watching tv and they're just like things are getting swi- swiped from them all around them and so like good 
And then you see their operation. You know, and what I, it's funny. What I remember about that a lot is that there's clear Burger King yes um advertisements in the movie i remember that but they're too. like eating what there's like eating a whopper and like <laughs> yeah they're like going through all the shit that some product like, placement going on yeah definitely it, for sure and i loved that you know i i loved that because it, it, it fleshed out a story that existed to me that i just wasn't getting from because if you watch the cartoon they live the krang is like fucking super strange and they have like this the, what is it called the terror drone or whatever the thing that like yeah, burrows technodrome. On, technodrome that that burrows underground and it's just a little, it's a little wonky and strange and, and it's fun. It's for kids. It's totally ridiculous. Just like, just again, I'm not making fun of it because GI Joe was insane. And I really do recommend people go look at the IO nine article about Cobra's craziest plots because it's the funny, <laughs> like when they just talk, when you read it, like what they were doing, it's so insane. You know, like they have a telethon to like try to take, like it all. I remember weird- that. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that one. <laughs> Oh it's, my god! Like they run for mayor, like Cobra Commander runs for mayor or something like. There's all these awesome. weird, <laughs> so weird so much camp. So I'm not I'm not saying that that doesn't have a place or that's not sure, worthy sure. of of admiration for, as a child because it was awesome. But I loved <laughs> I loved how it took place in New York City. I've been in New York City many times as a kid. So we lived right in the shadow of it. So again, that was the grounding element of it to me. The Foot Clan made sense for the first time. We saw one of them, you know, Leonardo again. In, uh, was supposed to be Leonardo, but it was Raphael in danger. There was a, some some cursing. There was the fight in the building in April's building when it's on fire with the Foot Clan. It's all that's an amazing scene. Yeah, pulled right from the graphic novel when it, they when it, they throw him when they throw Raph through the window through the skylight and he lands like in their lap. That's Leo in the comic. That's the only difference. That's the only difference, you know. And Leo. you must be right about that. They must have they must have seen what happened with GI Joe and Duke, and they must have seen what happened with Transformers and Optimus Prime, right. and realized that like we can't even though we're not going to kill him. We can't put Leonardo. Oh, in I see what you're saying. That oh, must have been that it, he's right? the leader. I was thinking more that Raph is more of a. What I was trying to say before, I don't think it was coming out right. I see what you're saying though, and maybe that is that he was the leader. It's like a whole Optimus Prime Duke thing. Mm-hmm. Like we can't do this again to kids. Like kill their leader type thing. Right, or put him in danger. Right? I was thinking more like but Raph's a more beloved character. He's he, the the movie centers more on him. Leo's kind of Leo's kind of a little less takes a little the less less prominence in the movie than than Raph does. You know, you see Raph's whole thing with Casey Jones. The movie focuses on, he has the sense of humor. He's making you laugh. I think it would have been more, I think it just, it holds more weight to do that to Raph in the movie version. If if you don't, if you're just a, an average viewer going into the movie, you care more about Raph than you do with Leo. You know, not us because we love Leo going in, but you know what I'm saying? That character is more beloved. He's making you laugh. Like he's in front of the critter's marquee and he's like, you know, whatever he says, like, you know, are they kidding me with this stuff? You know? <laughs> and, you know, the whole thing, of Jose Canseco bat, yeah. you know, the whole thing uh, with Raph. You already start to love him. So by doing this to him, you know, it's like, oh, what did they what did they just do to like my favorite character? This guy's making me laugh. Now he's like almost dead, you know. Right, right. I think that might be. Otherwise, I don't know why they would have done that. And you know what? I should have really investigate that more into that because I don't know why they would switch it. And it might have been a little different. People could correct me if I'm wrong. I have to really go back and look at the comic. That comic influenced the shit out of me growing up. I mean, that comic was like, when I found that, I was like, what is this whole world? You know, what is this whole thing? This is not Superman in tights and he's, it's corny comic. I'm more open to American, quote unquote, American comic books now than I was. But I very much feel and felt, especially felt like you growing up, there was a corniness to it that I wasn't interested in. You know, and I was also very immersed in manga already. So 
I liked that. I liked the sci-fi and cyberpunk thing more. Oh, you know what the thing was? I think the arc in the book was Leo kind of went off on his own to see what he could see in almost like a a protective sort of way of like, let me see what I could do and not need need to involve my brothers in this. Let me go see what I could see. Let me spy on this and see if I could just kind of nip this in the bud type of thing and do this without my brothers getting hurt. Raph went off in the movie. Raph goes off in anger. He he gets into a fight with Leo, right? Because Splinter wants him to like take it easy, right? And he gets into a fight, and he's up on the roof, like you know, just taking out his anger on on like a punching bag type of thing, you know, just up there like brooding. And the Foot Clan like closes in on, singles him out. He's by himself. He doesn't have his brothers, and they beat the crap out of him, you know. But yeah, why they would change that, I'm not sure. But yeah, just you know, otherwise that movie was so faithful to the comic and we loved it so much and I, I, I need to go watch it again. I, I really want to watch it again. It's been a couple of years. Yeah, it's so it's so fantastic and I, I, I recommend for anyone out there that, I mean, I can't imagine that you haven't seen it but if you haven't seen it, go check it out. Oh yeah, for sure. Highly recommended. You know, I really love it. I, ho- I hold it near and dear to my heart. I, I really do and, and I think that that to me is the greatest tether to the Turtles. Now there is the sequel, the movie, the, the movie and it didn't do nearly as well in the, at the box office or critically but I liked that movie too. Now, now there's that Vanilla Ice yes. Ninja Rap thing that's really, really dated. It was really even felt dated by the time the movie came out. But I remember, I remember seeing both of them with you. But I remember that one really well. And I remember how much we both loved the opening sequence, which I I think is a really great sequence when they're fighting over the, they're in like the the lobby of that building and they're fighting over the the vial of of mutagen or whatever. And like they're throwing, everyone's like throwing it around, and they're like all fighting the full clan. Like it's an amazing, an amazing sequence. It does lose a little bit of its spirit, and the third one is like totally insane. Yeah, the third one's nuts. But they, they, I loved it. I, I loved the second one too. But it's definitely not as good as the first one. And 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 since we're talking, we were talking about the cartoon. I do want to give a quick shout out to Rob Paulson, who did voices, who did I think the voice of Raphael in that, and now in, and and he does the voice of Donatello in the new one, I think. But he's a friend of mine. And I want to give him a shout out. Big Red Wings fan. And I didn't oh, realize this. James Avery did the voice of Shredder, who's Uncle Phil. In, yes. In you Fresh never Prince realized that? No, no. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I got to give a shout out to Through that Through the whole as well. run, as far as I know, as well. All the seasons. He also was one of the neighbors of the Bradys in the Brady Bunch movie in the mid-90s. Which, Just saw that recently. Dude. Again. I love that movie. So great. It's so... It's, it's funny you say... This is totally tangential to this. But Ramon and I rented both of them. When like a few months ago and watched them, I'm like, these movies are fucking great. <laughs> I don't care what anyone says. They're like really good. They're really different. And really, yeah, they're hilarious. Yeah, that is a co- complete tangent. But those, that, that, it's, those, it's so It's good. so funny. So good. It's the carjacking. <laughs> I'm not Jack, I'm Greg. And this is my sister, Marsha. <laughs> oh, no, he's like, this is a car, but I'm not Jack, I'm Greg. <laughs> It's so good. And and the great quote from uh, Casey Jones, or from the Raphael Casey Jones fight in the park, of course, I think is like a cricket bat. You got to know what a crumpet is to know what, <laughs> yeah, to understand so- cricket, whatever. <laughs> really, really good stuff. So the to, to kind of end things, Dagan, I want to talk about a few things that we can kind of, that are more opinion driven. Okay. But before we do, I, I do want to note that neither Peter Laird nor Kevin Eastman are involved at all in the Turtles anymore. I think Eastman is working on one of the comics or was working on one of the comics, but yeah. they both don't have a, an investment in it at all anymore. So Eastman sold in 2000 his share of the, of I guess, Mirage or the, of the Turtles to Laird, who then sold it to Viacom in 2009. So I would expect that Laird probably got the lion's share of the money, unfortunately, for Eastman. But it's interesting. And they both that it, is it seems like Laird is the 
the more outspoken of the two these days. He, he I, I read to quite a few of his blog posts and stuff like that about the way he felt about the turtles and and their opinions and anything. And they're still very much involved, I guess, in in kind of the creativity that's going on in there. But I do want to say because you brought up Michael Bay earlier, what a I didn't see them, but when I saw the trailer for that new Ninja Turtles, that was you know that's several years old now. I was like, this looks fucking terrible. I can't I can't believe I can't believe this that anyone thinks this looks good and um, awful. Just looks terrible. So I refuse to see it. I, I'm not. I'm not Good seeing it. Me too. I won't watch those movies. There's more than one. Right? How many? I think are, there's two. There's two now. I think so. No, it's just. It's just not. It's something else. It's just like I said. I know we're pure. We're, you and I are both of of a mind of a similar mind, and we're both purists. And you know, it's not even like being a curmudgeon. It's just like it's not. It's just like the Transformers movie. It's not Transformers. In this case, it's not Turtles. It's something else. You know, it's not it's not the same thing. It's not that you have to be so on a on a line and not, you know, deviate from it and not veer from, you know, you don't have to be such a, you know, through and through purist and not have any creativity injected into these things. But it's it's something else. It's 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 irreverent to me. You know, it's just irreverent. You can't just take something that's beloved and just make it into something else. You know, it just reminds me of the Transformers movies, not to get on a big tangent, but the Transformers movies when they first came out that they were all, all the Autobots were GM cars. Like what? Like Jazz was, uh, you know, so-and-so was a Datsun. Jazz was a Porsche. Like you can't, that's not, that's not, that's something else. Call it something else and do something else. It's not Transformers anymore. I just don't understand how they keep making those movies. It doesn't make sense to me. I you mean, know, I just don't, Michael Bay who's the tether between those two movies. I just don't understand how a man can fuck things up so badly over and over again. I'm not trying to be mean. I don't know how to make a movie. If you if you told right. me that I was going to get a $200 million budget to make a Transformers movie, I wouldn't know the fucking first thing to do. So I'm not, I'm not trying to insult the man in a particular way, but I guess I am because I just don't get how this man keeps getting money and keeps getting films when, yeah, he grosses, and I guess that that's the bottom line, of course, but the movies have no soul. There's no soul in Transformers. I saw the first Transformers movie, the you know, the, in the rebooted series in the theater in 2007 when I first started working at IGN, and I walked. I'm like, this movie sucks, and I'm not even really that big of a Transformers fan. But I had a similar problem where I'm like, I don't think any of these cars are even right. I don't, I don't know exactly who Jazz is supposed to be, but I don't think it's supposed to be like a Dart, <laughs> right? Like a I don't think he's dart. a Dodge Dart uh, or whatever the fuck he was. Breaks my heart, really. So, so I I agree with you on that. Where there's a strangeness to. It, there's a there's a, a there's too much of a willingness to bastardize something that exists already, and that's what they did with the GI Joe movie too, when they really probably should have embraced the camp. GI Joe too, perfect example. Yeah, GI yeah. like I like that the turtles went into a serious direction, but GI Joe and and obviously Larry Hama's GI Joe comic books, which set the stage for the toys, were very serious. But we should embrace the camp if we're gonna if we're gonna go back to that, make it colorful and vibrant because that's what GI Joe is. It's too over the top to not do that. Yeah. But with the turtles, it they proved with the 1990 movie that it it wasn't over the top Absolutely. that you could do it that that it was a little weird maybe but Raphael was walking around in a trench coat and a hat amongst people in New York City it worked and he got away with it and even even in the dark Casey Jones was like what's going on with you like, are you one of these punk rockers or whatever he says you know <laughs> yeah great line and and I I so they they should have embraced that and that's what I wanted to ask you because you have a young son does he care about are the turtles a relevant kind of factor to him or are they irrelevant to not even on the turtles aren't even on his radar are they for his contemporaries like does he have friends that are into it no Graydon, my son Graydon was born in 2010 so when and i want to give a shout out to a few things but especially the 
the 2012 Nickelodeon CG Ninja Turtles reboot, which was which is they did a very good job with. It's 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 quite good. It's a little different, but quite faithful to the spirit of the turtles, as you and I and a lot of people I'm sure listening would like to see it. And I remember when that was coming out in 2011, they had already introduced some of the figures at FAO Schwartz, I think it was. And I worked not too far from there in New York. So I went and grabbed the four turtles at, for him. And they're just sitting in his... He never never watched the, the series on Nickelodeon. You know, like I said, he was a, he's a little bit... He was a little bit on the young side. He was only two when it came out. If you if they came out if it came out now, it might have grabbed him more because he's seven. But yeah, Ninja Turtles isn't on his radar now. I don't know. You know, he's into. You know, he has a dad that's into really old school things, so he knows what the 1984 Voltron is and the original G1 Transformers and 8-bit NES games. So he might be he he has a different sort of spectrum that he views things through. I think. Yeah, yeah. Which, is, a, which is such a cool spectrum. He'll he'll realize how lucky he is to have that that. And Mega that Man, of course. From right. He loves Mega Man, Shovel Knight. The one thing I was surprised with him because I sat down and played Castlevania with him is not this time, but last time I was here, I think last summer. Yeah. He doesn't really care about that, and I have to do something about that. About Castlevania? Yeah, it's not. Yeah, gonna, it's that's not, not going to fly. That's not going to fly with me. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to get too far with you. No, no. I'm sorry. That's not okay. <laughs> so. The other thing I wanted to ask you before we go, Dig, is we we talked about this a little bit, but I want to I want to talk about it in a different way. I want to rank the four turtles from your oh. favorite to least favorite, but I also want to rank their weapons. Oh, I love this from your favorite to your least favorite. Okay. For some reason, there's a gray matter tether in my mind. Okay. Between the Ninja Turtles, the weaponry, and the fact that you at one year one point bought Ninja Stars. Yeah. <laughs> And we used to go into the backyard. I was probably like six. These were, by the way, real ninja stars. They were real shurikens. And we would throw them against the fence in the backyard. And then our dad noticed one day that there were like these little prick bunch points. Of, a bunch of pockmarks yeah, in, the in, in the fence and like lost his mind. So I, they don't use t- ninja stars. But I, I, I connect all of that because you bought me. I remember you bought me a katana, like a fake katana. That we used to play with in the backyard that I ended up breaking. I remember that. And we used to go into the woods. We had like we lived on like an acre on Long Island. We used to, and we had like a lot of woods on our plot of land, and we would go and like beat the shit out of trees and stuff like that. And for some reason, I guess when they were building the fence around our yard in the mid '80s, they left like a bunch of unused fence planks in like the middle of the woods, and we stood on them, and they were surrounded by these trees. And we, we I would say, we were playing Dragon Warrior. Yes, I remember that. And we would like fight. So fun. Fight, fight with like these fake katanas. <laughs> So Leo is obviously both of our favorites, but from there, where do you go? Okay, yeah, I go Leo. The rest is kind of hard for me, but I think if I think of all the iterations that I liked, you know, even from the original cartoon series, the comics, the 2012 Nickelodeon series, which I really enjoyed, I would go, I think I would go Leo, Donnie, Mikey Rath. That's my, I like Mikey, Mikey I like Mikey in the 2012 series. The, the personalities are sort of preserved. It's not like they do anything too different, but just the little nuances. Yeah, I, I think all in all, weighing all, all the versions together, I would go Leo, Donnie, Mikey, Raph. And you know what? Donnie also, because of the, we didn't get too into it. I want to give shouts after we're done, but the Konami arcade game, the four player. Well, let's talk game. about that then. I mean, let's, yeah. let's, 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 let's talk about that after this. Okay, sure. I want, because yeah, I'm happy to talk about that. Okay, cool. And we'll hopefully do a Let's Play that will live on SideQuest's YouTube channel for that one of those games at least. Yeah, that'll be fun. Which will be fun. But I would rank them... Yeah, where do you go? Leo, 
Raph, Donatello, Michelangelo. Okay, and Donatello, I want to like Donatello more than I do. I like what Donatello is. I, I like that he's like kind of the scientist and the, the, the analytical one. Yeah, I like yeah. that. And it's funny. I don't know why. It must be because of the way they're introduced in the cartoon. But how do you order them just like when you talk about them? What's the like just just what's the order of the turtles? Like if you were to like name the four of them. Oh, if I was going to name them. I'm curious if you and I have drawn the same conclusion on this one. Oh, if you were just to name them, like what would you, how would you name them? That's interesting. I think I'd say Leo, Raph, Mikey, Donnie. Mm, I, I, I say Leo, Mike, Raph, Donnie. There's got to be a reason for that. That's I weird. think it's probably in the introduction of the cartoon. Oh, maybe. Oh, right. Yeah, that's probably That's it. like embedded in my brain after seeing it 5,000 times. That's just how I introduced them. It's always Leonardo, Michelangelo, Raphael, Donatello. Like that order, I think that that's where that comes from. But I was curious how you would, how you would rattle them off. But yeah, I like your order. Your order makes sense. Michelangelo I'm again. I think of the song. Wait a second. Leonardo leads. Donatello does machines. Raphael is cool but rude. Michelangelo is a party dude. Yeah. So I, where did I get that? that's right? So where did I get that order right? From? Is that right? I think so. Yeah. Something like Leonardo that. Leonardo leads. Donatello does machines. Raphael is cool but rude. Give me a break. <laughs> Michelangelo <laughs> is a party dude. Party. Yeah, yeah, so that's it. Why was Michael? Who was Michelangelo partying? But that's with? not even the order I said. Yeah, no, it's not. That doesn't make any sense. Oh, that who was Michelangelo partying with? Uh, himself. Yeah, he was. <laughs> he had some problems. That one. <laughs> he really does. And as far as weaponry is concerned, would they? Would the order of the weapons be the same for you? Oh, you know what? That's a great. Yeah. So we have katanas. We have size. We have nunchucks. We have a bow staff. Katanas, that of course. Yeah, one. definitely. Yeah, I think no, I think I think my order of weapons is your order of turtles, if I'm not mistaken, is it? Yeah. So it's I would katana's go, size. Katana size, bow staff, nunchucks. Yeah, I think I'm the same. The nunchucks are just I mean, those are devastating if you know how to use them on someone apparently, but I I Yeah, and I it makes sense really for Mikey. I heard a I heard a thing about Mikey recently that I liked a lot, and that was something that I never really picked up, and maybe it's because I was never big enough of a fan as compared to some people but that he is actually the most adept fighter of the whole group the fact that he doesn't he's more prone to be lazy or just mess you know jerk around and not train as hard but that he is easily the most athletic and the most physically gifted which also lends to the fact of using nunchucks which takes an amount enormous amount of coordination I really liked that. I don't know if it was a review that I saw, but somebody was breaking down the characters and described Mikey that way. And it was the same guy that said that kind of drew out the complexities, like had, you know, what's really cool from early on was that the, the personalities were kind of preserved with maybe a little nuances injected here and there, but largely it was carried through and consistent. But the way the fact of like that, maybe sometimes Leo even though probably the most complex would just get drawn out. Like Raphael's quick to anger. Mikey is the most lighthearted. Donnie is the smartest. And Leo, he's the leader. Like that's not a personality. So when that happens, I start to get upset. If you're not layering Leo a little deeper, which the 2012 series, which if you haven't seen it, you would like it. It gets a lot more into what makes Leo tick and his anxiety, basically. You know, his anxiety and his drive to... His perfectionism and he's type A and he's the Leo that we know, but all the little nuances that are kind of peppered in there just make him the complex character that I think always spoke to me. And when that's lost on him and it's just like, yeah, and Leo's a leader, that's not, that always got me upset. 
you know, it's like, no, there's more to him than that. Yeah, I always felt like, I think they explored it in the live action movie a little bit, but like he almost seemed to have a weight and like an honor to him. Like yeah. A, like a, he seemed most tethered to Splinter. That yes. therefore made him the leader. Great point. Of the, of the Turtles. I mean, that was always my interpretation. Great point. Great point. Well, let's talk, because you wanted to talk about the games. Yeah. So let's talk about them. Okay. You want to talk about both of them or do you want to talk about specifically Well, you know what I want to say just before, especially before we wrap up, is that there's two there's two different parts of the turtles that I that always really spoke to me and that I always wanted to see developed into something that I think just nailed what the turtles really was. And I hope this makes sense when I say it. The night the the Konami um when did it come out? When did the Konami arcade machine the four player no legendary I think it was 89. Was it 89? That game was brilliant and we all loved it and we all had our turtle and it was all like, you know, stacking quarters up there. It's my turn next. 30 players around the machine. We all know that. But what I loved about that game was that in the graphics and in the visual style and in the animation, that was the perfect depiction of the turtles. It was sort of serious enough and badass crossed with a, a cartoony aesthetic it, it, to me it's what the it, it is exactly what the animated i wish the animated series was you know it was still cartoony it was still colorful they had their different color headbands that was fine but it had a, just enough badassery to it and the and the way the turtles looked as well they were just proportioned perfectly it was like it was still sort of appealing but it was had that it had a, lot, a little bit of that badass element into it where if you just think about in your head like the cartoon series that we had on tv it was wonky you know they had they were like muscular but goofy almost like kind of gross looking they almost look kind of like naked you know but they're dressed exactly the same in the game but just the po- the poses and the action poses and the attitudes like that that not only the arcade game but also think about the opening sequence of the animated series the theme song of the original series the way that looks and feels perfect you know i wish that was what the cartoon you know obviously the level of animation is a lot more beautiful and a lot more you know they, they you know like many 80s cartoons that's where the budget was put in you know that was the draw that was like the giant toy commercial but those two things the arcade the konami arcade four player arcade and the opening of the animated series that's what i wished we got initially from the turtles i think if they nailed that into and put that tone into the, a cartoon series that's really what i always wished for you know and i think the 2012 series although cg and there was other things like the four kids animated series that we got in the in the 2000s and a friend of mine actually directed that series but there was other stuff but the 2012 series is probably the cl- and now there's a new one now there's a brand new series that Nicola, that they're launching um, but the 2012 series was always the closest that it came to me. But I always loved those two those two things, you know. So I wanted to say that because that was it's one of those things I, I love. It's one of the things I love about this podcast. It's two of those things I've always thought about that I never got a chance to really say to anybody. It's like almost like getting it off my chest, yeah. you know. Well, now, now you got to say it. So thank you. Oh, you're, well, you're very welcome, and thank you for everyone for listening. I will say that the 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 dates were right. So the arcade game came out in '89 in the arcades. The same year, '89 is when TMNT, the game that a lot of people don't like on NES, came out. 1990, that game was ported to NES. Okay, so that's the era in which we're, we're existing in. And okay. really, Turtles from '88 to '91, I would say, is where things got really kind of kind of jumped off for them. All right, listen, I want to do one thing. I forgot to do. Hold okay, on. I'm getting up for everybody okay he's walking across the studio walking across my studio i'm trying not to step on any laptops okay i got something for you okay now there's gonna be a lightning round okay 
So you're gonna open that. It's okay. A blind bag. Describe to people what you got there. Okay. So it's a it's a. I meant to give you that in the beginning. What do they the call show. these? They they call these blind bags. That's a blind bag because you don't know exactly what you're gonna get. I didn't you're know gonna... that, that that's what these were called. Okay. Oh really? Yeah. No. These didn't exist when I was a kid. You're getting old. Well, you have children. Would you know this? <laughs> oh yeah, that's if true. If you didn't have a seven-year-old son, <laughs> I shouldn't lord that over you. <laughs> All right. So All right now, listen. When now, matter what you get, this okay. is going to be have to be your favorite turtle from here on out. It's Donatello, and I, I, I'm not I'm not devastated by. <laughs> okay. All right. You got Donnie. Yep. I got Donatello. So he's now my favorite. Right. I'm sorry. D- that's they. Hey, oh, the plastic smells. You can get stoned rules. off this plastic. Hold on. Oh, is that? Oh my God. Yeah. Describe to people what that. What is it? A keychain? It's a, yeah. So the bag that it came in is a circular. It's, it's a green circular thing with a Nickelodeon logo on it. The new Turtles logo. Okay. It says light light ups. 8-bit light up. One 8-bit light up per pack. So you can either get Leo, Donnie, Raph, or Michelangelo. And it has their head and their weapon. And right. It, so, it is. It's like 8-bit. It's like pixel art. Exactly. And it says, yeah, includes one. And collect all nine. So I guess you can get some of the bad guys in it too. Wow. It's really confusing though, isn't it? It's like turtles, 8-bit, just the head, the weapon, and it lights up. Yeah, but there's no... On this one, there is no weapon. How do you light it up? Oh, there's no weapon. That's interesting. Like, oh, you squeeze it. Okay, there we go. Oh, you squeeze. Oh, look at that. Oh, did it's, that blind? It's it? quite blinding. Yeah, oh, Jesus. <laughs> Why did I do it yourself? to myself? Oh, my that was a little weird. <laughs> so well, thank I'm, you. I'm, I'm not devastated by getting Donnie. I like Donatello. Is that Donnie? All I see is blue light now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's Donatello. <laughs> okay. But the Donatello on the packaging, it says it should come with like a bow staff underneath and ninja stars, which is interesting. I saw that, but it's not there. Yeah, like it's just. Yeah, everybody has their weapon. Donnie has his bow staff and ninja tar- stars because I guess a broomstick wasn't enough to have underneath him. So I had to give him something. <laughs> give him something a little cooler. And then we're going to do a lightning round for Let this me one? know when you're ready for the I'm, lightning I'm round. I'm ready. Okay. So this is our second podcast of this batch. So the lightning round is staying. Okay. Good. It might, it might be. You might be editing this out. <laughs> so who the hell knows? I, I, just, I just do this for you. <laughs> just appease him. Just appease him. Okay, here we go. Oh. And just There's no right or wrong answers. At least I won't tell you. Okay. So, and also, as you know, quickly as you can. Okay. Okay. Raph or Mikey? Raph. Mikey or Donnie? Donnie. Okay. Answer. I'm gonna say a name. You give me one word. Okay. April. Hot. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. You're not wrong. Splinter. Wise. Casey Jones. Cool. Uh, colored headbands or all red headbands? I want to say all red headbands, but that's just because that's the cooler answer. Okay, I like it. I like it. <laughs> You're not wrong. NES Turtles, the original NES Turtles, good or bad? Good. Katanas or nunchakus? Oh, katanas. Ninja stars or any other weapon imaginable? Ninja stars. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> One turtle has to die. Who's going? Mikey. Oh, you answered that. I way said that too before fast. you were done. I said that before oh you were done with the sentence. You filthy murderer. Oh my god. Okay, pepperoni pizza or sausage pizza? Sausage. Sausage. Turtle van or just walk? Well, I'll just walk. The turtle van's too too much. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. Yeah, why are you bringing so much attention? You live your life to not you live in a sewer so no one knows who you are or where you are, and then you drive around in a fucking turtle themed van? It doesn't really doesn't make, any make sense. sense. And it's called the party wagon. <laughs> <laughs> okay thanks playmates uh, okay where are we ninja or samurai ninja TMNT or battletoads oh TMNT current Konami or 1988 Konami <sighs> 1988 Konami 1987 animated series or the 2012 animated series I only saw a few scenes of the 2012 one so I can't speak to this in an educated way okay. I would assume the newer one is better okay you're going okay 
Best bad guy over the entire brand ever. Dude, I I know that I, I feel so corny saying this. I know right. we're supposed to be going quick, by the way. No, that's okay. I know I feel corny saying this, knowing how they feel about him now. But I always loved Rocksteady. Oh, I like. I think it's a good answer. Yeah. All right, that's gonna play into another uh, one towards the end. Okay. Uh, Eastman or Laird? I don't know the difference between, them, but I think, <laughs> but I think Eastman was the one that drew the original turtle. I think Eastman wore the purple headband and Laird wore the red. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think it was Eastman that drew him, drew them originally. So you got to give him a shout out. I agree. I agree with you on that. I like Eastman, especially from the interviews I've seen. He seems like a cool guy. He's all tatted up and stuff. He looks young, man. Like how old was this guy when the Turtles came out? Like nine. <laughs> he looks like he's like thirty now. Have you seen him? <laughs> no, I'm not actually. I don't know. What I don't know what's like. going on with that guy. What kind of youth elixir that guy's using? Well, they have enough money to buy whatever. Go to That's whatever youth, youth camp. That's actually <laughs> Fiji. <laughs> <laughs> all right, one sword or two swords? Two. Rocksteady or Bebop? Oh, you got to go with Rocksteady. Although I I, I I like both of them, but I like Rocksteady more. Bebop had the turtle shell shoulder pads, right? Yeah. Which was always kind of funny. But I like Rocksteady too. Uh, Konami or Ultra? <laughs> They're the same company. That's a trick <laughs> That's question. Okay, nice. Good. Good call. Good pull. Good pull. Uh, Technodrome or Public Enemy's Terror Dome? <laughs> <laughs> public Enemy. You're not wrong. Vanilla Ice or New Kids on the Block? New Kids on the Block. Good answer. You're There's done. some good New Kids on the Block songs. I can't think of any good Vanilla Ice songs. You got at least an A- minus on that. that. Thank you. That's pretty good. Yeah, not, not bad. bad. Not bad. Well, that was fun, Dagan. Thank you for... Uh... Oh, <laughs> now you can't see out of both eyes. <laughs> I just put the light in my eye again for some reason. You had one good eye. I just wanted to see what would happen. That's how... We were talking about on our Street Fighter episode, how did Saget lose his eye? Well, I think that might be it. You don't point that at a plane. <laughs> <laughs> they might be coming knocking on the door. <laughs> Oh my god! I I realized that I, I forgot to go through the whole spiel at the end with our social media at the end of Street Fighter, so I don't want to forget to do that this time. Oh right! I didn't uh, remember, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at No Taxation. Dagan is at Dagan 1973. We are both both also on Instagram. I don't use it very much, but I'm CLS Moriarty. Dagan is Dagan likes to draw. And you can see a lot of his art there. Remember, you can support us on Patreon. That would really mean a lot to us if you went over at patreon.com slash Stand and gave us a few dollars a month. You get lots of special perks depending on the level you join at. So you can get early access to the show. You can listen to this show each episode a week early in addition to getting early access to Fireside Chats, which is the interview series I do. Um, but even at the $2 and up level a month, you get access to voting for topics for this show and for SideQuest, which is the video game show, etc. And speaking of that, before I go, we did get one comment of note on Ninja Turtles. On So basically when I, I announced the entire run of this season of Knockback and people left a bunch of comments and questions, and a, a lot of people were gravitating towards like four or five of those topics like overwhelmingly. So we only got one thing about TMNT, but I didn't want to ignore it. Justin Matkowski says he has so many memories and, and thoughts about, about what's going on with all of our topics, which is a common theme. I think I know this guy. He this said, may or may not be Helene's cousin. Really? Yes. Wow, interesting. Yes. He says, I went back a couple years ago and watched the original 1989 TMNT movie and found that it held up surprisingly well. I thought it was 1989 as well, but I think it is 1990. The 1980s cartoon was of kid-friendly merchandise powerhouse, which makes it even cooler that the, the flick felt gritty, grounded, and even had emotionally resonating aspects like Raphael's tormented nature and the consequences of aimless youth, absentee parental figures. I agree. Mic drop. Mic drop. We can do an entire episode only on Danny. And maybe yes, we'll do we that. can maybe and we'll, should. And should. And we will. It'll be the <laughs> longest episode of Knockback ever. We'll get a psychologist in here. We'll go really deep into it. Uh, but I hope you enjoyed the episode. Thank you so much for your support, your kindness, your love. 
We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what we're doing right and wrong. We always want to improve. We appreciate you. Thank you. See you next time. Bye. Collins Last Stand Knockback is fan supported over at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon. And I want to thank you from the very bottom of my heart for your incredible kindness and generosity. Ahmed Alawais, Kyle Barnes, Martin Beck, Fred Bentz, David Blodel, Mark Boggio, David Buford, Spencer Brand, Isaac Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Andrew Burkhart, John Burry, Alex Cabrera, Will Caldwell, Louise Cancato, Matthew Canoy, Cesar Cardoso, Shermer Carter, William Cashel, Brian Chand, Jay Chandarlis, Travis Chandler, Sean Chandler, Kenneth Char, David Chestnut, Dan Clifford, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Nick Cummings, Will Curry, Daniel D'Amour, Daniel Delanikos, Mitchell Durkach, Luke Drake, David Ellis, Eric Finkenbeiner, Michael Fior, James Fitzpatrick, Mike Francis, Connor Gazian, Alexander Gates, Michael Gates, Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, David Gurley, Ryan Greenwood, Miranda Grubba, Andres Guzman, Tyler Harris, Wyatt Henry, Andrew Hess, Joshua Hunt, Steve Innerfield, Stephen Insler, Josh Jager, Paul Joyce, Jeremy Key, Nathaniel Khalil, Jackson Lestica, Donald Laws, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Juan Lesh, Patrick Leslie, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Josh M., Ryan T. Mandel, John McManus, Devin McMasters, Joe McPartland, Albert Miranda, Mad Mock Media, Alex Moans, Betty Ann Moriarty, Abe Mokhtar, Connor Nesbitt, Josh Netzel, Adam Nixch, Andrew O., Brian Ott, Jorge Palomino, Reed K. Parker, Todd Paxton, Brendan Peavy, Marius Scarson peterson Jason Pettit, Eric R. Pryor, John Quinn, Daxus Rana, Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Austin Riley, Ryan Robertson, Ramon Rodriguez Jr., Atenogenis Rojas, Petro Rose, Michael Sanchez, Matthew Savoy, James Schmetz, John Schultz, Chris Schaefer, Mike Shaw, Ray Ann Scheinebarger, Toby Schutman, German Sidhu, Alex Simmons, Riley Smith, Jordan Smith, Jared Stuave, Alexander Suarez, Ahmed Tamar, Tam Tran, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Chris Wong, Michael Wells, Payne White, Tyler Woodall, Benjamin Worrell, Corey Wyatt, James Zimmerman, Tony Zuniga, Kristen Zwick, Beric, Mubarak, A.G. Rowe, Tynamite, Chris, and Donk 2015.